welcome to it. It's when Highbury was home. The Arsenal fan cars from a South African fan perspective. <laughs> of a fan who found a home in, in the place where Arsenal did so well for so long. And, you know, grew as Arsenal grew and found a new home. And this is the journey, you know. I was actually just cracking to myself before we did this, thinking when Lars was a man just excited for a, a big game, you know, going into a big game weekend and you actually thinking, you know what, Arsenal have a chance here to, to surprise a few people and to maybe even surprise me as an optimistic fan, right? It's a good feeling, man. It's a good feeling all around because... I enjoy these feelings. I enjoy this feeling of anticipating my team to play well. I enjoy the feeling of other fans having this feeling of optimism going into the weekend. Or, you know, hey, I want to finish work earlier this week so I can be able to watch the game tomorrow afternoon, you know. That's dope. Or, hey, are you available tomorrow? We can link up, get some work done, and maybe even catch the game, right? That's the type of spirit that emanates from the team doing well across the board. And this is all the way here for us in Africa. And... It's different in other pockets of the globe as well, right? That's what fan culture is. That's what it allows us to tap into and to access. So I'm super stoked, man. I'm super stoked. But before we get to that, that will be later on in the podcast. Um, just started by saying, you know, we, we started the podcast after the season started. So there'll be a whole lot of stuff that we'll probably want to recap and speak on. The the transition into Mikhail Arteta, the form going into the end of last season. And... Uh, Everything else, you know, going into the preseason and how everything was being done, that will probably be content we'll drop as bonus content throughout throughout the next coming weeks. Right now, I just felt like, you know, instead of just doing a preview show in a sense, we'll just do a light recap of that and then get all the way into the preview for the City-Arsenal game this weekend. So as we record it, it's like, what, quarter past five on a Friday, South African time. It could be anything injury-wise, it could be anything news-wise regarding players, so bear with us, you know, we'll just keep the notifications on, if anything does come through, we'll, you know, let you know about that. I felt it was a pretty solid start for us coming into the season. Off the back of how we performed last season, we did have a bit more expectation that we knew that wasn't our best showing last season. At the start, at the very least, and towards the end, we started to show a better account of ourselves. So if at the very least we show that version of ourselves as a football club, we have a chance this season, right? And I think that was vindicated in that Community Shield game where back against the wall, against a great team in Liverpool, and you come out with a penalty win. And, you know, penalty is, is the rub of the draw. You know, it could be your night, it could not be your night, but you got to stand up and, and, and buy a ticket, you know. And I was, I was proud to see my guys step up in those moments and be clutch because one of those things with Arsenal, there was always a conversation of the soft underbelly, and that's why teams were picking on us, that's why referees would pick on us, that's why the FA would seem to pick on us and other opposition fans would pick on us because there, would be, there wouldn't be much of a backbone in the, in the squad, right? There wouldn't be much, there wouldn't be many cojones in there, like Troy Dini said, right? And we, as an Arsenal fan, a true Arsenal fan, when that happened, I was like, you know what? I may be pissed off and I'll cuss you out in public, but in reality, if I was to see you on the one, I'd be like, yo, Troy, you're right about that. Mind them have no cojones there. That was then. This Arsenal team, bro, you can't roll over like that. You know, you can't roll over like that. There's more accountability behind the men there. There's more accountability among the men them there, and it's nice to see because that's what we built off of as a club, you know. It wouldn't always be 11 worldies. Go look at the Invincible. It wouldn't be 11 worldies on the field every game. It would be 11 guys that will play up to a world-class level every game. Insert whoever, play up to a world-class level every game. We're watching guys towards the end of their careers Ray Paul and uh, Romford Pele play up to a level every single game. Mind them not play out of position. Laurent was playing right wing sometimes. Play every single game at a world-class level. So it's nice to see that come back at the start of the season and carry that through into the Fulham game where a clean 3-0 win in a, 
a London derby, although we have a couple of them all the time every season, it's, it's always good to start the season now in those fixtures because that allows you to, to assert your authority as a football club. Like, now, nah, man, London are be red, they say. Yeah, London are still red, say. Man, them know that going into the West Ham game, it was one of those where Fulham, yes, team coming up on the up, you know, they tend to invest in the squad very well and it's credit to them as well because I always feel it's an easy cop-out for people to say, oh, now nah, it's easy to invest in a club like Fulham where you have main attractions and you're in London and you have the backing. It's not as easy to stand behind that and say, we might get relegated, cool, but we'll give it a shot. And I pray they rewarded this season. I just had to get that in there because I'm a, I'm a fan of what Fulham do when they really do what they do. You know, what of what? I'm a fan of what Fulham do when they really do what they do. So going into the West Ham game, they're a team for me who are a Fulham-esque in that regard. Credit to West Ham, they're far more grandiose team in that regard. I mean, the Academy of Football pay homage respect, you know. But at the end of the day, they've been struggling for a while. And now you're starting to see a West Ham that not only maybe looks to spend money and not always look to just recoup, but spend money to invest in the squad. So going into our game with them, I felt like, you know, credit do like they need to perform a bit better in these bigger games they need to maybe be consistent sometimes it can turn up for the big games to struggle in the games against teams that are in and around them that they should be beating they give a good account of themselves you know and 2-1 for us we'll take that you know what i'm saying we'll take that especially going into that leicester game where we knew we we're gonna have to rest players or field a, a squad that had a couple of our key guys getting a few minutes out, especially knowing how the season has started with the international breaks coming in and all of that having to be considered. The team did very well to come out of there with a 2-0 win. And it was tough thinking for me as a fan going to the Liverpool game in the league that I had, we got two wins in the league on the trot. We got two cup wins already into the season and a little cup title we can maybe get a draw against these lot, right? You know, as an optimistic fan, I was thinking we could sneak them there. I was thinking we could not sucker punch them on there, you know what I'm saying? But it was it was tough to take that 3-1 because we maybe didn't play up to our best level. If they beat the best version of us in our car in our current incarnation, I can deal with that because we can see how far we have to come. But who they beat there wasn't truly the best we could be. And I feel that's when the conversation started for us as a fan base about personnel you know because that's when we started having conversations about Laka as a nine going forward especially as a starting nine for us right and it's a valid conversation that we maybe have when we delving into team selection later later in the part saying to get the best out of Aubameyang going forward we need him to play down the middle and if it means you know having to alternate games with Laka plays off the bench and if it's not working for Albert down the middle we'll move over to the left and then Laka can come on and he'll be incentivized to keep a good run of form going because it's like now my rate for you would be a goal a game or get a goal every two games coming off the bench if you get two and two if you get two and one I maybe might start you and that's a good incentive to have amongst your starting line where I feel we have players that can f play well in the other positions where Pepe and, and, and Saka and them can they can play together on the right and, and fight that out. But you know, we'll get that to we'll get to that later on in the part, but it's one of those things where we got to thinking and having those conversations like look what losing to Liverpool does to you, right? You start questioning your whole freaking team for the season, bro. Like <laughs> I have a homie of mine, Toku shout out, like he'll be glad to hear that, man. They had me ripping everything out, like listen, like start a GoFundMe for us to get a row and party row, like cause it's it was not going to work going into the season, like after that game and how things were. And going into the cup game against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, we haven't seen Liverpool three times away this season. I cut for them Monday. So say, you know, we see the Monday, you know, round of 16 and we saying, damn, it's a cup game. We have to rest players because that's what it is. They have to rest players too. At the very least, let's give ourselves a fighting chance. And the boys reacted. They responded, especially coming back from having lost tonight's team where it would be even much easier for Klopp to field a second-strength team and say to them, well, you have the 
the confidence advantage right now. The game is not won in that regard where, yes, it's a game of confidence and ability, yet you don't win it just because you were confident coming into the game. You have to have the ability to match it, and they had the ability to match it, and our guys did too. And our guys believed in themselves a bit more, especially guys who were maybe on the fringes, seeing a guy like Pepe step up and start to perform. And we started to see glimpses of players who are maybe on the fringes of the squad currently for whatever reason and starting to show more accountability and account for themselves. And we've seen guys like Ceballos pick up in the last two, three games where accountability again, you know, and that was, that's been nice to see. So that penalty win against Liverpool, say, OK, now when I beat this man on penalty all the time, but that's what it is when I deal with that. That was a confidence booster for us as a team, I felt, because it allowed us to sit back and say, you know what, yes, we can beat now these man. And we have no qualms beating these men and we can consistently beat these men. All we have to do is consistently improve when it comes to how we are in all the other games. Because it's a, it's a critique that we may, lord against, or we may lay against other teams, yet we're victim to it too as Arsenal. Where sometimes we can turn up in the games that we're expected to win and win. Or the games we're expected to compete rather than compete. The games we're expected to win, we could choke in those games. And... Coming off the back of that Liverpool game with the Sheffield game where Sheffield did well last season, our fourth game in the league, we've won two last one. We needed a result going into that. It may seem early in the season that you need a result, but you can't be on one, two, last two when the biggest league fixture you've had was Liverpool. And we've had seasons like that where sometimes would be one, one, last three at the stage of the season, right? Yet we beat Sheffield 2-1. Hard fought, we got it through, grinded it through. And I started to see a stronger, a stronger underbelly now. I started to see, okay, even the guys know that they didn't play well. Yet they, I mean, last season, we, I felt I saw it where guys knew we didn't play well. We got the result and those accountability, especially a guy like David Luiz, a guy like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. They were having those conversations in their post-match conversations like, nah, Mandam know we don't play well, but Gaffer tells us sometimes we're not going to play well, but doesn't mean we should lose the game because we don't play well. We must still be accountable and get the result. The fans come to see us get the result, and that's professional talk. That's just the the talk of of you, the talk you expect to hear from people who are getting paid very handsomely to do an amazing job, a job that you don't have to do, you get to do. That's amazing. People living their purpose and getting paid to do it. We expect that type of accountability. For some of us, we maybe expect that accountability from everybody in the jobs we do, but to see it at the very least on that level of professional where it's a creative it's a creative profession, you still see that. That was dope to see. Which would lead us, you know, naturally to the upcoming game against City and the Europa League game against Vienna on Thursday. Yet I feel it wouldn't be fair to go into those games without having a quick rundown of just what comes before that, right? Because our, our transfer window ends literally in, in between the seasons. So we have to kind of recap that finally because maybe you can't always have a, a full conclusion on something until it's actually concluded. You can't have a full, a full judgment on something until it's fully concluded, rather, right? And our transfer window, I don't think before I should give a rating, I should just want to go through it. It was one where... It was typical of Arsenal to be linked with <laughs> with players. Luckily, this time, we weren't linked with all the players under the sun. We were basically just linked with two, mainly. Three, when you're counting Gabriel. Four, but William, we signed already, so it wasn't too long of links. It was very brief. Yet, the party and award was like, okay, cool. Pardon me for the mispronunciation, bro. Um, it was one of those where you're looking at that saying, those are players we could use in our squad. Those are players that... Pardon me, Citrus Paribus, everything remains the same within our squad. And we make the, the subtractions we need to make to allow us to make the additions that we should make. We're good. To the point where during the transfer window, you were sitting down just being your little couch, couch manager. And at least I did. And I sat there and I said, you know, if it was a playing football manager and you have a sugar daddy there, you'd be able to maybe even have a conversation of, Let's spend against what we're going to get end of the season, or at least halfway through the season, we can recoup some of this by selling some of these guys that we can't sell right now. And for us to find out that the party money was originally there and they were just trying to stall out to try to get less and then maybe they could pay out the award deal by installment, that part for me felt too typical old Arsenal. Were you still penny-pinching at a time where We've seen what Penny Pinching does. I'm an Arsenal fan through and through. We saw what Penny Pinching did when he didn't want to pay an extra five million for Juan Mata. 
you know? We could have used Mata at that time. For a while, for the last decade, we could have used that player, a creative player who could provide that. Since Pepe came, before that, I don't think we had a left-footed creative player that was giving us that value production, attacking-wise. Then we got a soccer get promoted. See what the turn and fortune even does when you just do some good business. So it trips me out to see that, that, that little bit of finaginess where it was, it was now nah, we don't want to spend because, 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 now nah, it was just a bit Ngamla-like for me. Yeah, foreign fans might not understand that, but Ngami is like somebody who's just very stingy with their money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you probably know somebody like that too who just be like, not nah, counting everybody part to talk about all the money in the world but don't want to spend no money. Yeah, that was too much of that for me. And Arsenal do too much of that business where they'll report on all financials within the club and all the money they made for selling freaking mug bottles that have Arsenal branding on them and the naming rights to all the kids named fucking Thierry or some stupid shit, but they can't account for the fact that, hey, you have assets on the books that are overpaid and overvalued, where when we sell these assets, we're going to have to sell them at quote-unquote a loss. It's a loss in relation to historical money spent, yet it's an income that is positive in the, in the black, and it's good money when we're related to what we still have to go do today, because we still have to go spend money today. We can't stop spending money as a club because you fucked up the spending before that. How many clubs have we seen repeatedly fuck up their bread there and they come back to Spain and they find other instruments, as we say, to, to put it together? Josh Kunka told us there were other instruments in place. Why won't those instruments put in place and say, okay, here's a 150 million loan or 100 million loan to cover the shortfall of whatever, whatever could happen in the shortfall of selling these guys like Mesut Uso, wherever you can negotiate contract terminations, guys like Papa Socrates. You know, these guys were last year of their deals. They're not going to be there next season. Let them Monday go. Especially when no one's willing to pay us fuck all for them. All right, cool. Negotiate terminations with them Monday. Knowing at the very least what they're saving us on wages is what we're saying we are budgeting to put back into our books. Monday, no accounting major or nothing like that. I didn't drop out of accounting, but I know that much. So you could balance the books in some way. You could reconcile those books in some way. So I'd like to believe that in January there's a way where they were trying to just hem hemorrhage their base and say, we'll still do that if we have to, yet rather in January, let's have some outgoings to offset this, and that's cool. So we'll probably see, like, now, Mesut Ozil not being registered, then it's probably better to... It's probably them pushing him to say, you know, we've offered you a contract termination, you've declined it, maybe you'll be in law of taking this now when you know, Mandem, you're not going to play. You know, so you're not going to play in the league, you're not going to play in the Europa League, Mandem, not going to play in the cup, and you're going to trade with under-23s. So, Mandem, just take a severance and go there where they're willing to pay you something and you'll offset this money now they're here. There's always, there's always, I mean, we've seen it in business countless times, right, where you want to move on from somebody and somebody's willing to pay them, but they're not willing to pay them what you're willing to pay them or what you used to pay them. You offset that, right? Yeah. Offset the Monday so we can take off like Cardi B thing. <laughs> Mandem played too much there by Arsenal. So, that, that tripped me out, but it was nice to see the Lucker deal finally get announced when the thing should have been announced early to come. The fans, they could have put less pressure on the club now because no news not coming of new signing, no news coming of Lucker now contract signing. It's just a freaking mess all around at the stage, right? So that peaked me off as well, and I can see why a lot of fans were also peeved off about that. Saka's deal, I think I was I I, I had thought was going to have been announced last season because I thought it was done last season, but it was announced this season. I guess they wanted to put it onto the books this season, but we'll count it as part of this off-season's deal. That was great, him and Martinelli being re-signed because those three, for me, are our front line going forward. If you're talking about Arsenal's front line in 2022-2023 season, that's my front line. Maybe a young striker that they're coming to, to spot Abumayang, but Martinelli on the left, Sakanade on the right. Get me a 10 now when we go, you know? So, Gabriel coming in was great for me personally because I felt Saliba was signed in principle to be that, that bedrock of our centre-back and our bedrock of our defence, yet it's a lot of pressure to put on a guy that's 19 years old. I pray that he is the solution in regards to that right-sided centre-back position going forward. Yet what Gabriel provides as a left-sided, left-footed centre-back in this modern age unlocks Arsenal in ways that some of us who even saw glimpses of Xhaka playing as a centre-back, you know, and then, he, and then what is it, in, in Emery fucking, I call him Nene now, in Emery's reign, that's what we were seeing of, my goodness, that could just be Xhaka's position going forward because we just saw how much it did for the team there. It gives you dynamism in how you play the ball and how you transition from defence to attack with one pass that is hitting a different channel that teams 
can barely even train to defend because they don't have left-sided centre-backs in their team to be able to, to put 11 v 11 and we're going to simulate this pass coming diagonally into the left centre-back, into the left centre-back, left full-back channel. And the, and the right wing is cutting in while receiving the ball and moving the whole defence across while a right, while a full-back is, is, is bombing forward. That's a lot, you know? And, and Artekas is one of those coaches who he game plans situations within the game for the team. And that's something that allows him to open a, a different playbook, if you will, because he is more like a, an NFL coach in that regard where he comes in with plays on plays, right? Now you have a whole set of playbooks. You have a whole, you have a whole chapter in your book that you can reach into and not tap into because you know what? You have these plays because you have this player that allows you to have these plays. So Gabriel Magales' signing allowed us to unlock ourselves in ways that we hadn't quite been unlocked before. And finding a defensive partner for him in that, in that centre-back department's going to be key going forward because I feel long-term Saliba is that guy. Mold-wise as well, having both played in France, so understanding the league, understanding, understanding the league they came from being a cultured league and the league that they're coming into being a cultured league of ball-playing defenders who still have to put in a shift, you know, aerially, still have to put in their tackles and still have to show us a certain degree of accountability when it comes to defensive arts, which you don't always see in other leagues. It's a credit to that because it, it, it prepares them for what they're going to have to do. Magalhães has literally taken like a duck to water and it's been key for for our team going forward to see that because this is one of the first games we're going to see where in a big game he's starting and we might even see structural changes within the team as a result of him starting, which unlocks us in ways that are now are now basically unimagined or unimaginable because now the team is, is sitting in a position where now we can sit there and say, okay, cool, guys, let's, let's have an extra attacking player instead of having three center backs which is something we'll get into as we, as we transition. So now we're having a conversation of Ainsley staying was key for me personally. I was one of those where waking up to hearing an Ainsley speculation of Ainsley linked to Manchester United was tough personally because you're saying, look, we're, looking, we're losing a player that we developed from a, from a young buck, from a light that we developed Ainsley Maitland-Niles, right? Academy player coming in. I remember from the age where Ainsley's mom was having squabbles with Wenger and the Monday because they didn't want to play Ainsley I didn't want to give Ainsley a new deal when he was still 16, 17 then, right? So we're so invested in this talent that now when he's starting to find his feet, now when he's starting to find his position, now when he's starting to find his confidence, at the time Ainsley didn't want to be a defensive player, he refused to play right fullback, right? Now he's getting international call-ups call for England, you know what I'm saying? That's growth from the Monday, right? So it's great to see him stay because we would have lost that because whatever we would have got from Man United at that time was underselling. It was way underselling what we were going to got back because you're selling a British player, homegrown in your academy, still under the age of 23, and you're sitting there saying, what? A future international who now, just already by this one-two cap situation thing now, Monday value up now 15, 10, pound, 10 million pounds. You know how I go there for English talent, right? British talent tax, you know? It's tough there. So... No major sales of the dead weight had me a bit peeved, but yet I realized it's probably better to sell closer to January. And it's very short. January is just around the corner, right? So just some countries even being in a position where maybe corona-wise we we able to see more economic movement in certain countries, maybe more fans coming in, gate receipts-wise, where teams are more dependent on that income. We could realistically start to see more players leave. You know, even just the pressure for certain players moving on, saying, okay, cool, you're six months now left on your contract and no one is coming in for you right now to negotiate for you, even in June anyway. So whatever's on the table now, you're probably better suited looking at now. So uh, I'm praying for that. No lie, bro. I'm literally praying for that. One other thing that did have us peeved, at least me peeved as an Arsenal fan, was the Martinez-Leno situation where I felt if the club knew what they wanted to do, they should have articulated to the players and to the fans going into the season. Saying Alendo not be our number one, Martinez not be our number two. If we get a good enough offer for Tinez, we might consider selling. Because then that makes sure the dressing room is stable and your market value for the player is great. That if you do turn around and no money come in out there for Tinez, but somebody come in and say, we want Leno at 50, 45 M, you'll maybe do that business still for Leno. Right then, we hamstrung ourselves. We didn't say nothing, and as fans were open to speculate, where I was more Martinez in Leno out camp, right? So we can get more money for Leno going out than Martinez going out, 
And Martinez at the very least showed me that he can do what Leno's doing and potentially exceed that expectation. Age-wise, apples and artists give take with the players. It's a similar age, right? So we're sitting there saying, I'm not getting too much upside. Martinez is homegrown within the, within the, club, the club structure, so I'll prefer that as well. Personally, as an Arsenal fan, we don't have enough players that know what it means to wear that jersey. Now we're getting guys that even the new signings seem to have that about them. Well, you hear how Gabriel now they speak about the club. You hear how Party now they speak about the club. You start, I mean, when Pierre-America Bomayang himself signed, you heard how he spoke about, he spoke about the club and even staying, how, how, how much it speaks to what he thinks of the club, right? So it's good to see that, and we will continue to see that. A war I thought we would have got, didn't get. I pray we go back for him to get in January because if we don't get him in January, he's probably going to another one of the major European clubs, and we're missing out on a potential superstar caliber player, and... We need that type of 10, I feel, the type of 10 that can play deeper as a 6, sometimes as an 8 rather, and play on the wing as an inverted 7 coming in, inverted 11. That gives us a lot of options, especially in Arteca's team where he likes positionless players, right? So we need to maybe go, go back in and wrap that up. Thomas Partey time was a brilliant signing for us because that already does unlock us in one regard. And so I'm looking forward to seeing the squad fully unlocked as a result of that signing and that addition because it's a signing we've been calling for. Like everybody said, since Patty v Patrick Vieira left, we haven't had a midfield general. I'm one of those where Alex Song was supposed to be that. His gameplay and his style wasn't yet. The physicality he had had the potential to do that. Abu Diaby had the potential to do that where he could go bog. I mean, there's a freaking... Anybody who tells me about Abu Dhabi has to go back and watch his performance against Liverpool where he took them to the cleaners. Where that was Abu Dhabi's best case scenario. That was his ceiling. We needed a guy that could do that. That could go from having a move broke that break down in our penalty box and run and keep up with play and move with the ball and move with play in certain phases of play and end up finishing up a move just inside the opposition's 18-yard area. We've always needed that type of guy. Aaron Ramsey would give us that going forward. Towards the end, Aaron Ramsey started to learn how to give us that defensively coming back. And it was a bit of maybe a little too late because now the team was evolved and being built so much away from what he offered at that time, right, as a box-to-box -box player in that regard that... It hurt to see him leave, you know. So now to finally get somebody who was a box-to-box -box player in the full definition, I feel, of that word, where he can get busy nowadays defensively and he can get busy going forward and not look out of place, it allows us the flexibility to play things like a three-man midfield now. Where in a two-man midfield, him going box-to-box -box is actually kind of trickier because... That's what Xhaka's job was supposed to be when he was supposed to be playing next to Torreira and he would struggle a bit with that. And that's what's showing that, okay, Xhaka may be transitioning more into a deep-lying playmaker would mean that Xhaka and Ceballos can now start to play together a bit more because Ceballos can come deep to collect the ball, turn on the half turn, move the ball forward, then move forward with the play and then leave Xhaka to hang back. So if the ball is recycled, Xhaka can now recycle the ball into advanced positions with a long diagonal pass instead of having to play the ball short. So now playing Partey, Xhaka, and Ceballos, having combinations where you can play Partey, Ceballos, and Emil Smith-Rowe, or Partey, Ceballos, and William Central. My favorite one of those combinations, personally, it may just be fantasy manager me, but it's Partey, Ceballos, and Saka centrally. Because it gives you a different degree of dynamism in that midfield. Where in Partey, I have my boxer box midfielder that is a that can sit and anchor my midfield, then know where to go and still turn on the ball, knowing that when he has to maybe move to the side and allow Ceballos to come deep and, and collect the ball, he knows how to move further forward in midfield and still allow me to transition the ball quickly and win it quickly in midfield, freeing Saka up to carry the ball a lot more constantly because I like it when Saka carries the ball, especially when he can carry the ball and make the decisions he makes so well, where he makes 9 out of 10 the right pass the right decision. It may not lead to the goal yet because everybody else is still learning how to see the game the way he sees it, the way Mikel is, is teaching him and unlocking him to see it. Where he sees, it's like somebody, God, God bless you, Scotch, where, wherever you are, God bless you, my boy. There's a home your mind, Scotch says, it's like Xavi will see the ultimate pass. You know? Like, most, some people can see the obvious pass. And the obvious pass is like, 
it's not obvious to everybody. The obvious pass is like, okay, that's where the ball should go if you want this move to proceed. If you play the ball there, something could happen, yet the move might not proceed. Something definitely could happen if you play the ball there because you have more options and you will force the team to be unlocked now. And you will force the opposition to go gravitate towards that situation there where from there that pass is easier because you have three passes from that pass. From this pass, you only have that one pass. Saka knows how to play the pass that leads to three other potential passes while having the dexterity to have seen that, yes, there was the one pass there. Sometimes you can go for that one pass in a, in a, in a high-risk, high-stakes, high-reward situation. And that's where he's learning that discernment and decision-making. 18, 19, that is brilliant. That's a wunder kid, you know? That's a talent, that boy it is. So I need, him, I need to see him start more minutes, and I need to see him start more minutes in a team that has Pepe also starting. And Pepe as a 10 is a bit tough for me because... The, the right foot is a chocolate foot, you know what I'm saying? Like from Percy used to say, like, you may be a Judas for that thing there, but we still have a little bit of love for you, pussy old boy. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like, Pepe on the right is better for me because he can cut in and allow a fullback like Bellerin or maybe even Ainsley, who I feel in the back four would be an amazing right fullback with that engine, man. And he puts pressure on Hector to say, you know what, Hector, you can, you can go 90, you can go high, you can go full on, you know what I'm saying? But you don't have to play 90 minutes. I can spot you in some game. You don't have to play three games in seven days. We can spot each other. And Ainsley can still give you cover on the left side. And, you know, so that balance there is something I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with going to the season. So we're going to do a pre-game recap, maybe in the review of the City game for the VN game on Thursday. Right now, we're just thinking more the City game. And it's an enticing fixture, man. Like, it's one you, you, you lick your chops for when you're in a rebuild like we are because it's a measuring stick. We, we've seen how we can, we can get at these lots and we can beat them Monday. We saw it our last season, right? Beat them twice, if I'm not mistaken. So, now it's... Listen, they may not be at their best. And the biggest test for us is, can we lick a mandem when they're down? Because sometimes we've been passive, find mandem down, and then they surprise us while they're down. And you're like, what? Mandem down there, and then they surprise us. Like, how the, how the, how the fuck that work there? So that's, that's happened to us one too many times where now I think it's, 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 it's show and prove, you know? I think I believe in us enough to say, you know what, the team can stand up and be counted in a fixture like this. So going into this game, I feel even our takers should believe in the squad like that. And he should feel playing three central defenders or even just, I mean, he, I know he won't say three central defenders because it's not really defenders. It's just guys in those zones because it's positionless and nobody really has a position in our Tetris fucking team, <laughs> which is fucking dope as a fan because, you know, you can, you, can, you can experiment with so much as a team, right? And you're not so rigid in certain things. And it's, it's great when we're winning, I won't lie, you know, because then we're outthinking the opposition. I just pray he doesn't outthink himself sometimes. And this is one of those games where, If this was Venga, I, I'm gonna hate doing this, but if this was Venga, I think Venga would outthink himself. I've seen I've seen Arteca outthink himself once. I think that Liverpool game, the three-one, he outthought himself. This one here, he needs to go with a back four. Go with a back four and don't have fear of stuff like Magalhaes, because it's something we didn't have a conversation with the Sabala situation, with the with the Saliba situation. Yes, y'all, they're seeing him every day at training and they're seeing how he's performing and they're seeing how he's acclimatizing and adjusting it. Monday won't know until you put the kid out there. And I think football fans are smart enough to know that if you throw him on in an EFL Cup game and we're up 3-0 and he makes some mistakes, gives away a penalty and gets a yellow card that leads to a free kick, that leads to a second goal and we're under pressure and win the game 3-2 or whatever, We'll understand what that's about. He's, he's not ready yet. At least he now knows what level he needs to be at to be ready. That's all it is. You know, and then the fear of loaning him out to, an, to, to a championship team where it's like, oh, Mandem might not be ready for that. When will we know again if Mandem not be ready for that? Got to put him out there and test the thing, right? We won't know if the oil is, war, is, is hard enough to not a fry the fish until you put a little bit of some batter thing in there. So, okay, now, sizzling right there. 
and I put the fish in, you know? So I'm not, I'm not getting that in that regard of saying, Gabriel, maybe don't play him in a back four, play him in a back three. In this game, my, my uh, we'll call it a predicted team, but I mean, <laughs> when, when you deal with attackers, your predicted team can be as good as Fokker because you'll, you'll come in and super coach that thing now they all the way they start start himself at center mid just to surprise the opposition or something there. <laughs> so we got we're going with Leno and goal because that's oh part of me actually I just realized that we didn't rate the the transfers another smoke so much so personal use only is the other show now they will do it's a loud booth podcast presentation so you know the no Monday and I hit the zoot man them gone. I forgot to rate the freaking transfer window Brody. So after everything I said <laughs> After everything I said about the transfer window, I still had to give it a solid seven because I don't like to do no halvies. You know what I'm saying? No half-stepping. Shout out to Big Daddy Kane. So it's like no halvies, bro. It's a straight seven for me. It was closer to a six than a seven if we were going to do halvies. So I had to round them Monday all the way up. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think we could have done a lot better. And we did good in getting party. That's what pushed us closer to a seven than to a six. No lie. So continuation from that but leading us to the team because i guess that's why the segue was so beautiful the four two three or the four two three one or four three three because Mikel now they say man have no formation man just have not a structure thing there <laughs> so the structure we need to come with is a structure that starts with four quote-unquote now they defenders <laughs> so leno starts in goal I like what Hector is growing into being again as a right fullback. I'd like to see him in a competitive game as a right back and see if he's got the durability to go up and down, knowing I got backup on the bench in Ainsley or Suarez, depending on what we do at left fullback, which we'll get to. And then start Nade David Luiz. I know there's all this talk of everybody saying David Luiz don't like Nade play right center back, like to play left center back with a with a right foot. I think it's just about him having more unpredictability in his passing. Yet when he's playing next to somebody who's got more versatility in his passing, I think it gives it gives David Luiz the flexibility to just play his natural game. Especially with Gabriel being more of a cover defender for me. And David Luiz is better as a stopper defender. Because as a cover defender, he makes those rash decisions. As a cover defender is when we're getting those penalties. As a cover defender is when Mandem is calling for offside, but Mandem not be offside there. And then you have to go now, Kappa the Mandem. Now it's David Luiz sent off plus penalty. And now, you know what I'm saying? We're in trouble now, you know? So I think Gabriel playing there with him, the communication as well, two, two Brazilians, the, the fluidity in Portuguese, David Luiz also speaks a couple languages as well. It will help, you know, especially communication with everybody else in the back line, seeing Leno and Hector in there. There was talk of Kieran Thierry having to quarantine for 14 days after hanging out with a whole medium by, by him there, by, by, by international duty there. Um, he was on duty with Scotland. Apparently, he played uh, he played FIFA or some TV game television. I'm acting like I'm an old Monday. Apparently, he was playing. He was gaming with a Monday, and they were chilling. And then the Monday had a test positive for COVID. So Kieran Tierney, according to Scottish regulations, must quarantine for 14 days because he was in contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID. Although his test came back negative three times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it seems as if Arsenal have negotiated with the embassies, I don't know on which side, to work that down and say, you know what, he already started quarantining when that happened. And now our regulations don't say 14 days. I believe them to say to, to say seven. So we were going to play Tierney, it seems. So I don't know if it's a thing of we've gotten through the regulations just to have Tierney on principle and maybe we'll start Tierney on the bench just to say we're not going to get done over. Always oh, a thing where we're gonna stick on our principles. Tenny's fit. Tenny passed tested positive neg negative for COVID. Then Tenny starts for me, you know, because he's our left back, and we haven't seen him play enough games at left back. And he was signed to be a left fullback. Mandem wear the number three for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So I would like to see Kieran Tenny start a left back in a four in a back four all the way through, allowing Thomas Partey time to start as a CDM for me. I'll list him as a CDM because. I think it's time to move on from Xhaka in that position, regardless of what happens. So even if it means Partey is more stopgap and we're going to have to go find a partner for him when we go expensive with our midfield and go get an out-and-out out 10, and Partey is more of a box-to-box -box guy, and we have a holding guy who's a bit cultured on the ball and allows us that versatility, that dexterity, the type of player who I thought 
um, on a side note, we didn't get into it. I think it's going to be for a different conversation. Um, Gwenduzi, I thought Gwenduzi was supposed to be that player for us where it's a defensive-minded guy in his principles who was cultured enough to play further forward, allowing us to have a guy who's more box-to-box. Uh, at that time, probably Xhaka, but now more Thomas Partey, right? So I think that's what we're leaning towards. Partey is centrally with Xhaka next to him. And Sabalos in that quasi-10, quasi-8 position because what it allows us is more flexibility in that midfield, right? What Xhaka does does lag, yes, in turn of pace and, and speed of thought, he does make up for in his willingness to try A and his potential to be an actually good passer. I was one of those people who was a great fan of Granit Xhaka when he was still at Gladbach because I saw a player who, at the time when he was younger, very versatile was playing in more advanced positions, was playing on the wing. You know, one of the players who was playing inverted forward well before his time, or well before its time as a position, well before it was it was evolutionized, right? So I would like to see him freer to go a bit forward. I'd like to see him in the in the in that position, you know, right right after the, the center line and 40 yards away from goal, receive a pass, defense is open, you can drive forward unleash a pass, unleash a shot, be more of a presence in the game, offer the team a bit more because I feel it can be a goal threat further forward yet we haven't unlocked that part of his game because he hasn't unlocked parts of his game as a result of mm, the limitations being exasperated in that sense or, or amplified uh, in where he's played, you know, deeper in, in midfield. So now with Partey there, I think especially because Partey's got the, the wherewithal to know when to bomb forward you know, and maybe call Xhaka back, especially the way the way Arteta seemed to see Xhaka where in, in, in the start of play Xhaka will start play further forward, but he will move he will seem to move back as play moves forward because the defensive line will catch up with him and he becomes a third centre back in that regard, right? That's actually a dope move for him because it allows us to have still Gabriel as central in that quote-unquote back three when, when Xhaka drifts back and Partey is still our our quarterback in the middle and Ceballos can play further forward which is the other conversation we're not having in, in regards to Mesut Ozil being frozen out. Right now would be the perfect time for a player like Ozil, but now that, that ship has sailed. We, now man got to move on, you know, can't cry over spilled milk. And Ceballos is a player that offers us, in a sense, quasi what war would offer us or would have offered us or potentially offers us in January, wherever we, whenever we get and we're speaking in positivity <laughs> forever optimistic Arsenal fan <laughs> you know that I am saying you know that's what Ceballos will offer us and maybe potentially maybe we sign him long term and play him next to Partey and Owar in that midfield and it's a very cultured midfield now you know so it's one of those things where that dynamic player that can switch the ball you know I prefer him deeper because we haven't had a guy since Santi Cazola sit deeper and spray passes like a quarterback in that regard that's when Arsenal, I feel, are truly at their best because you can have forward runners that can be picked out at any time and we basically almost can't lose the ball centrally. Something City have thrived off for the longest time where even when they had Fernandinho there or when Gundogan is playing, it's the ball doesn't get lost there, yet there's five, six forward runners that allow you to now pick up more people and pick up more chances to, to, to strike the opposition where it hurts, right? So Ceballos will give us that, especially when Xhaka can bomb forward ahead of him or, or, or Partey can bomb forward ahead of him with the fullbacks and Xhaka hangs back, whatever the case may be. What has maybe peeved me a bit in the season where we've made so much progress, but it's at... It's like we cut our nose to spite our, or spite our face, or in a sense, maybe we didn't help ourselves in getting William because William did so well in his first game and a half that it became easier to keep Pepe out and then when Pepe was coming into the squad it was when we needed somebody to make an impact the impact that we thought William would make in the quote-unquote B team cup team coming off the bench role now I think Mikel needs to put his foot down and say to Pepe I need to see if you can do it for a run of games I have a league game coming up for you and then I have a European game that I can play Willian in and bring you back in the next league game that may not be as high profile as this, but I'm going to expect consistency in these two games. And I want no drop-off in this position. To the point where if William plays well, I shouldn't feel a pressure to drop you for Willian because he played well against VN in the Cup. No, I should know that you're my starting guy and William can score a hat-trick. It's cool because you can come in against in, in the next game and score me a brace with an assist or give me a hat-trick of assists, right? Consistency, Pepe. Man, I need that from you. 
exalt in Ras Claude Pepe. That's a talent that Monday. We cry for players like that. As Africans, we know we know what that player not means. You know, that's when you know the rare players when you played football in Africa, you know that that dribbler you will always get in Africa. More often than not, he'll be right footed. He'll have the pace. He'll have the the mind to 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 to, to cut into spaces and make himself more available. But if he's a lefty, oh my goodness, now you have something special. You have Messi level special. That's why we, we regard Messi in a different light, right? Because it's because of that left foot, not that thing. That's some, that makes you something else, man. So Pepe being that guy for me, I feel he needs to start on the right-hand side for us, especially against City where we need to pull the man apart in different ways. We need to pull the man apart and, and, and pose as much of a threat as possible. Willian offers us a threat or reliability of a threat, yet I feel he doesn't track back enough where we chide Pepe for not tracking back enough. And Willian is not tracking back as much as he should. He was having quarrels on the field there with Mandem as well over that. So I'll start Pepe and I'll demand all of those from him knowing that I can yank him off at halftime and bring on somebody who will at least give me a shift. He would at least give me a 6-7 performance if Pepe's not at least going to give me a 7, which is the bare minimum we ask for that man. Who's got the talent to at least give you a 7 every single week and the extra ability to give you a 9 every other week and a 10 on those special weeks when he's really on his game. You know what I'm saying? When he's had his, when he's had his jollof rice and he's feeling good about himself. Man can give me another hat-trick there. Man can give me a hat-trick of assists. Man can be a special talent. Like a Z for me... I would still say, if I'm coaching, I would be revolutionary and start starting him more off the bench and sparring minutes with him and Uber there to see what Uber can be for me as a nine instead of doing that this season. I have to do it. Again, we're going we're gonna to keep speaking on these things. We, we've been Arsenal fans long enough to have seen certain things like when, when we lost TT after TT started playing down the middle more consistently, then we went through a spot where we were losing players, then we lost from Percy, and now all of a sudden... Since TT was there and from Percy leaving, we've always had Theo Walcott say he wants to play as a centre and we never played him there until the season we had to play him there. And then we knew he wasn't a centre, but now it's late. We know he's not a striker. We know he's not a centre forward, but now it's late. Pardon me to get anyone there. I need to know if Laka can play, if Aubameyang can play down the middle for me and be reliable. I need to know if there's a style that fits for that because sometimes we'll play him down the middle in a system that re requires him to hold the ball up more and... He's not built for that. We need to play a system that has a Ceballos in it, that has a Saka on a wing, or maybe a Partey, or, or maybe rather a Saka or a Pepe on a wing, and a Martinelli or William on the other wing. So there's pace and creativity in behind him that allows him to play, you know what I'm saying, facing the defender and now with his back to goal all the time. Because now the defenders are running shit scared every time he moves. Because when he moves, two other players are moving into the space he, de he, he left. And now it's like, hey man, this man could pop up anywhere. I have to follow him. Now when he plays the Lacazette type of center forward way, Lacazette can play so well with his back to goal that if we stop gauging Lacazette on how many goals he scores and on the effectiveness of the press when he's in the team, on the effectiveness of his hold-up play, then this season's Lacazette is the exact player he is. He's the exact player who always thought he should be, in a sense. He can get a goal every two games, a goal every three games, maybe, but it'll give me a shift every game. It'll give me a seven every game. Because that's what Aiden Ketty is. That's why I could see coaches going for him when Laka wasn't scoring and seeing what Aiden at least gives me a seven. He closes down, high pressing, plays with his back to goal a bit, even though he's, he's, he's improving his strength and his frame. He's only improving that now. He can still play with his back to goal and give me something, right? So I valued that a lot in what Eddie was giving the team there. So that's my team for the weekend, Mandem, right? Just run through it again. Leno, goals, Hector, right back, David Luiz, center back, next to Gabriel. We have Tierney starting at left back, Thomas Partey in midfield with Xhaka, Ceballos, Pepe on the wing with Alba on the wing and Laka. We have a bench of Runeson with Ainsley, Holding, and Nenny, William, Saka, and Nketi are making up the numbers there, saying that's a strong team to go up against Man City, where Man City team news, just a little bit of team news that did come in while we were recording. Um, De Bruyne is said to be out for the fixture, and then we did get that notification of... Of what a what a boy we did that get notification of Tierney being available as a result of the negotiation with the FA and the like. So overall, man, that is that is the news we have going into the into the fixture or whatever else breaks across. Maybe we might tweet on the timelines and whatnot. Um, 
again, I'll say as a prefix by saying I'm stoked for the fixture. I'm stoked for a weekend, a big game weekend as an Arsenal fan for a change because we haven't had those for a while. And we're starting to get those again, you know, and we're starting to have the promise of performing well in those games, which is also another plus. So we're hopeful for a win. We're hopeful for a solid performance from the guys, more, most importantly, you know, like the win, yes, you know, even if you pay cock, win, but if you don't win, at least perform, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be one of the two Gs, you know, give me something that day, right? Um, aside from that, y'all know how it goes. Uh, follow us on social media. It's when Highbury was home. Um, I'm True Story. Thank you for joining us. It's Loud Booth Podcast. Um, South African Podcast Network. We've got a couple other shows. You know, you can just type Loud Booth Podcast on your browser and all our shows should come up. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for, for sharing this time with us. Um, if you're an Arsenal fan, please pray for us to win. If you're not an Arsenal fan and you're a casual listener, please pray for us to win. If you're not an Arsenal fan and you're a hater, fuck you and thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm playing, but we appreciate all the love and support and may all be well with you. Whatever team you support may be a good sporting weekend. As long as Man City don't beat Arsenal, everything else can go as it goes. We are all for it. Um... We're going to start adding a segment for the bidding guide and the bidding slip to the podcast as of next podcast, I think. Yeah, going to the Europa League one where we'll start playing a couple games and putting money on these Arsenal games. We can't be just saying Arsenal going to win and Arsenal going to do well against Man City. We all not confident there. We'll come up against City now to put no money where our mouth is. So, yeah, man, going to the empty hide on Saturday, 6 o'clock, 6.30 it is South African time. Um, no fans, so it should be nothing different for City, as we say. <laughs> Back to regular schedule programming for City. I think our boys should be up for it. They should be prepared. Um, coming off of International Week, uh, some guys going away, just that break, maybe even, you know, from the, from the routine of being in quarantine life as a professional, you know, having to readjust to that may have been good for some. The addition of a guy like Thomas Partey, extra time for guys to bid in and child. It's so beautiful. The energy around the club, man, right now is just so dope. So we're thankful for the football guys, the ancestors for blessing us with this time, man, where Arsenal are quarter to being great again. You know what I'm saying? So this one, Harbury was home. Thank you for joining us. God bless you, yeah? See?